this episode, Suzanne McDermott joins us to discuss the Roswell incident and the three dreams of J. Robert Oppenheimer. The Roswell incident refers to the mysterious events that occurred in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947 involving the alleged crash of an unidentified flying object. My father was a rancher East of Socorro Southeast of Corona Near Roswell, New Mexico In the middle of nowhere No radio, no telephone 1947 And I was 12 years old Robert Oppenheimer was a brilliant American physicist and the scientific director of the Manhattan Project, which led to the development of the atomic bomb during World War II. Wise man following a star in a big gray Cadillac Drove across the desert, traced his future in his track On to California scientific minds to the duties of his nation and the fate of all mankind a dream that I saw three men standing in front of me one held a box of elements one held a golden key one held We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Did the CIA write Wind of Change by the Scorpions? <laughs> <laughs> As humans busied themselves about the various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied. Dr. Loeb, what percentage chance do you give it that you have indeed uncovered extraterrestrial or non-human technology? With infinite complacence, people went about their affairs, yet across an immense ethereal gulf, intellects vast and unsympathetic through their plans against us. 
prior to your abduction, did you believe in UFOs or any sort of alien life form? All things unexplained. So some of that I think, sir, will save for closed session. This is Dr. Mouse. You have found all things unexplained. We're back tonight. By the way, we really appreciate all of you. We've been tearing it up this summer on the Apple Podcast charts. You know, it takes a lot to make a podcast happen. So if you get a chance, make sure to, wherever you're listening or watching, hit that subscribe button, hit the follow button. Make sure to share, make sure to like, make sure to comment. It helps us defeat the algorithms. Wonderful. Welcome, all you unexplained ones out there. We are so thankful to have each of you with us, either here live tonight or joining us on our podcast. For those that are joining us live, we do have a comment section. We would love to get your comments and questions. If you have a question for our guest, we ask that you put it in all caps so that we can address it. And we are so fortunate. We have a very lovely and talented guest joining us on our show. And I assure you, that's not something we say about most of the guests joining us on our show. <laughs> Teasing. So I'm only true. kidding. We've had many lovely guests on our show, but I have had the privilege of delving into her past over the past few days and reading her blog and listening to her music and learning all about her travels and her successes. And I assure you that you will all want to know our guests so much more after this. So we have Suzanne McDermott joining us. She's worked as an artist, a writer, a musician, an administrator, a producer, a teacher. Her songs are critically acclaimed. She's got lots of albums out there. And she is joining us tonight because of a unique connection that we have, something that is now so prevalent in society. The songs that she has have written, one about the Roswell incident and another one about Robert J. Oppenheimer, both so prevalent in our culture currently. So Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us on our show. Very glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And we are experiencing a few technical difficulties with an echo, but we are all pros here. Suzanne has performed live all over the place. We're going to work through it. And I think that we will be just fine. So the first thing that we really wanted to dive into was this, this journey into your music and your storytelling. And boy, are you a fantastic storyteller. I have been reading your blogs endlessly and I, I rarely get to sit down and read, which is unfortunate because that's one of my absolute favorite pastimes and I couldn't pull myself away. I started with your your five blogs that you did about your song about Roswell and then I went into your Oppenheimer and then I just kept going because they're all so philosophical and and deeply rooted in the human connection and who we are and those around us. But I did want to know a little bit about how you came to write the Roswell incident. Well, um you probably know this if you've actually read those blogs. Um, I uh, I was in Kerrville, Texas in 1996, I guess, uh, at the folk festival there. And I ran into a guy who was putting up his tent and uh, we got to chatting and it turned out he lived right 
uh, next to Area 51. And I said, what? Area 51, that sounds familiar. And so from there, I was reminded of Roswell and I thought, oh my God, that's just a perfect subject for a Dust Bowl ballad type treatment, you know? And so uh, when I got home, I started working on it. And it's, as you know, it is such a complex subject with so many different ways in and uh, so many rabbit holes to go down. And you know, before I uh, got ready for this podcast, um, I found this book. Oh, wait, but first, so I'm in Kerrville and I go to a used bookstore or something with some friends and I found this book. I don't know if this is reversed or not on the screen, but it's The Secret of the Saucers by Orfeo Angelucci. And it's a 1955 book on um, uh, an encounter with the flying saucer. And it's, it's very spiritual. So I thought, well, that's a sign. So I got home and I was having trouble framing the story. And then I found this book. Again, I don't know if you can see that or not, but it's uh, the Roswell incident, the classic study of UFO contact. And when I opened this tonight, I just saw that I'd marked the pages. I'd folded down the pages of the passages that helped me tell the story. So uh, I, I framed the story uh, through the eyes of, I made it one narrator, but the two children who were involved in uh, the incident, the son of the uh, rancher who, no, the daughter of the rancher who found the debris and the son of the military officer who came to clean it up originally. So I didn't quote them exactly, but I used their uh, experiences to tell the story. So what's vile to me, and this song is it's beautiful. All of your songs are really beautiful. They're the kind of songs that you can just sit and listen to and actually sort of contemplate your life and what you've known to exist. But the song is so lovely. As you said, you had used these two children's versions of the story essentially to write your song. But what is amazing to me is how this song led you to meet the boy, who now, of course, is a man when you meet him in person, but all of the other people along the way that were connected to the incident or how your song got taken to so many different places. Is that something that you ever thought might happen, that you'd get so connected to Roswell through this one song? Never in a million years. I really didn't. However, I did have a college friend who uh, uh, encouraged me strongly to uh, make an EP and to send it uh, to Roswell. I forget how it all, you know, came about, but um, I was invited by the mayor of Roswell to uh, perform for the 50th anniversary. <laughs> and um, it was like uh, a small town summer fair, uh, the 50th anniversary. But, and there were more press uh, people than there were attendees and um, but anyway I per I performed right next to uh, Whit Whitley Stryber um, giving a talk and 
uh, and what I mostly remember about him is that he had a pet parrot or some kind of pet uh, bird on his shoulder throughout the entire event. But anyway, yeah, so um, I became friends with the mayor of Roswell, but it was a very small group of people. And um, I met Jesse Marcel Jr., who was a, a medical doctor. And uh, he's the son that I quoted in the song. And um, he invited me up to his hotel room where his wife and a couple of his kids were, you know, already turned in for the night. And I played the song for them. And it was, it was, uh, it was very dark, but it was really, uh, it was a beautiful experience. Yeah. That's so wonderful. And to read your blog about that experience for you, it just seemed like everything kept happening. You got, you were, next thing you know, you're in the car with the mayor and he's driving you home from one of your performances and you're getting invited up to sing the song. And it just reminds you how much the, the UFO community used to be quite small. The people that were all involved in the Roswell incident was very, very small. And now that community is growing and growing and everybody's talking about it everywhere you go. Every news outlet has been covering these congressional hearings and what have you. Have you found that your song has picked up steam again, that people are playing it more or finding it more naturally, or has it sort of stayed streamlined from when you first released it? Well, first of all, when I first released it, there was no streaming and there was no, you know, it was all at that point, CDs mostly, and um, folk DJs. And however, um, a few years ago, a YouTuber used the song uh, behind one of his shows. And uh, so because he was popular, uh, this song, you know, became well, more people listen to the song and um, it's definitely the song that's been listened to more, more as far as I can tell than any other of my songs, even though I've got some great other songs, if I say so myself. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, that happened. And then, you know, every once in a while I would get into contact with someone about um, the song because I was sort of following uh, what was going on and, uh, yeah so thanks suzanne so i have to ask you i noticed on your blog that you hear a lot of stories from old timers that were maybe a maybe maybe not a part of the roswell incident can you share maybe one or two of your favorites that you heard from folks well i'll tell you um one was i mean I'll just say this. When I first wrote that song and I first performed that song, I was playing at a little club in the middle of Massachusetts, a little folk club opening for someone. And I thought, okay, I'm about to perform a six plus minute song. And it's about a flying saucer <laughs> crash. And so, but what I discovered was that people, A, thought, I was singing about my father and that I was the 12 year old and I had to tell them that I wasn't that old. And then, um, also I had, you know, people 
coming up insisting that it was a weather balloon. But one interesting uh, experience was that uh, an older man came up and said that he'd been in the Air Force flying from some base in Southern California, I think, to, well, they were supposed to land at the base that is no lo longer there. It was called something different at the time, I forget. But anyway, and they were diverted. They were not permitted to land and um, they had to go. Uh, you know, change their flight path. So that was one. To me, that's case closed. You know that that sort of evidence. They didn't they didn't divert for a weather balloon. I can promise you that. But Suzanne, one of the lyrics, one of the lines from your song that I just loved the Roswell incident. The the verse says, "They said we know what we saw. No rocket. No weather balloon." Why keep it a secret? What could we learn? What could we learn? Well, we don't know, but we do know two things. We know what we saw, and we know that we are not alone. And that that is really profound, I think. Did you ever find yourself picking up on the X-Files or any of this other UFO uh, culture? The X-Files was a little after my time. And, uh, I mean, you know, I, I didn't watch much TV as a, as an adult, but as a kid I did. And so, you know, it didn't really start with the X-Files. So when I was growing up, I lived for the Twilight Zone and for the Outer Limits, the original Outer Limits. I just, I couldn't wait for them to come on. And, um, uh, also there were, it was just the culture was just saturated with it. I guess if you were looking for it, but like Roy Thinnes in Quinn Martin production of, uh, it was about aliens and he was an FBI agent, I think. And you could tell aliens because they had a deformed little finger <laughs> and like the camera would zoom in on the little finger. So anyway, it was just around and it was really interesting and fascinating, but I don't have to talk about this right now, but Tell me if you want me to, but I was just rereading this afternoon, um, a 1955, right. So these, these two books I have, these are both 1955 inside the spaceships and the secret of the saucers. And I was just reading a Carl Jung, uh, it's a little tiny book, 165 pages or something called, um, flying saucers, a modern myth of things seen in the sky and you can get a pdf of it online and just read it it's really really interesting yeah so i would love if we could play part of your song if you're okay with it i think when people hear there's a song about roswell they might not fully understand how beautiful the song truly is so if you're okay with it i would love to play some for our audience Yes, here we go. This is Suzanne McDermott and the Roswell Incident. father was a rancher, he 
east of Socorro, southeast of Corona, near Roswell, New Mexico. In the middle of nowhere, no radio, no telephone, 1947, and I was 12 years old. Big lightning storm one night, beginning of July, we heard an explosion, wondered what wondered why. Riding out the next morning, check on some sheep that's when daddy found it a big field of weird debris he brought some of it home then laid it out on the kitchen floor bits and pieces of things we'd never seen So lovely. It's seriously, you have a gift for storytelling, number one. And number two, it's so beautiful. I mean, I'm guessing that you just grew up having a natural affinity for music and for storytelling, and you have been able to run with that your whole life. But, and I would love for you to delve into that, but also to let our listeners know where they can hear the full song and your other songs as well. Well, uh, you can hear all of my songs through all of the streaming. Uh, apps or agencies or whatever they are, um, you know, but you can go to my website, SuzanneMcDermott.com, and there are links to all of those, uh, you know, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Uh, so go to my website and uh, you can find everything you would ever want to know <laughs> and more. So I have to tell Suzanne this. I didn't actually... I don't think ever even reveal why we first emailed her, but Suzanne... I was making a post. It's not unusual for us to make posts about UFOs on Instagram, right? And so I'm always searching for, you know, some background music to add to the post to make them interesting. And one day I just typed in the word Roswell and I wasn't expecting it, but the Roswell incident popped up and I said, wow, I have to listen to this. And so that became the background music to one of our Instagram posts. I said, oh, cool. <laughs> While I'm listening to the song, it's just to me, like a great country song or a great folk song, I see it in my head and it just totally encapsulates what I feel like I already know that Roswell was. Does that make sense? Like it really starts playing this scene in my mind and I'm like, yeah, I think that really is what happened out there. Did, do you have people tell you that, that that really resonates with them on this like deep, true level? Well, yes. I mean, as I said, people think I'm actually telling a story about myself and my father. And that's a high compliment. I None of this, I, I did not expect any of this. But also, um, I was thinking when I was getting ready for this, what really, I mean, obviously something happened there. I mean, I... I don't have any first-hand experience. And what really convinces me that it was uh, extremely unusual is that uh, the interviews, which you may still be able to find some, but the interviews with the regular people who lived in Roswell and were there. So yeah, Becky Braswell, Braswell? I can't remember right now, but um, 
and Jesse Marcel Jr. But also like, I'm just, they weren't these people, but like the postman or the electrical engineer who lived in town or the guy that ran the post office. There are interviews with a whole bunch of people uh, when they were elderly. And, um, and they talk about it because at that time in the late forties, you could not talk about anything to do with the military, you know, post-war. It was very, very secretive, especially, you know, in New Mexico, you know, where Los Alamos was. And um, yeah, loose, li loose lips sink ships. That's it. Yeah, that's for sure. They they do. And as you mentioned, every, everybody was told, I can't remember if you, you must have written this and I was reading it, that they they could not say anything. They were not allowed to say a word. That those who did talk were taken away and pretty much told that it was their duty or you know, threatened that if they spoke that they would lose everything. So this song definitely gives people a chance to um, re-experience what happened that day. And it seems like a lot of your songs, your blogs, reflect what's happening in society and tell stories of things that have happened to people and you teach as well watercolors i mean what can't you do susie <laughs> that's what i was thinking as i was reading all of your stuff today like gosh this woman really got all the talent i mean what was left over for any of us but you certainly do reflect what's happening in in society and your your themes and messages are really embedded in your songs and your art is that something that you were setting out to do or is that just something that drove you? I was just, as the saying goes, born this way, you know. And uh, I grew up in a household. Uh, my parents were two generations older than I was. And my mother wrote poetry and she slept with the English book, the Oxford Book of English Poetry next to her bed. And my father was... He was a lawyer, but he was a Shakespearean scholar, and he read Don Francis Tovey's essays and musical analysis for fun. And he he went to uh, bought records. He was a really early audiophile, and he bought records um, from Sam Goody at his first store in New York City. Oh, and my dad was like super into history too. Oh, here here's my first encounter with uh, sci-fi was. Um, I'm about to have a little alien visitor here. Um, oh, maybe she won't come over. But anyway, uh, uh, my father took me when I was like nine or 10 years old to see Forbidden Planet, uh, the movie. And we were one of, we were two of maybe 10 people in the theater. But he was so excited because, um, there she is. This is, oh God, Miss Tallulah. Um, uh, because Forbidden Planet is based on Shakespeare's Tempest. And he was explaining to me as, you know, the movie unfolded, uh, how it was based on the Tempest. But anyway, I grew up in that kind of household. So there was music and art and, and I just, I sang you know, before I could speak almost. And, um, you know, I was writing poetry and uh, painting and drawing. And it was just who I was, am. And um, 
yeah, so I live like I have a trust fund and I'm 20 years old and uh, I don't and I'm not. <laughs> okay, I love that so much. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish we didn't have to, we're muting ourselves because of an echo situation, but I've laughed so many times and the cat meowing was fantastic. That's a t-shirt. Yeah, that should be a t-shirt. Yeah, I live like I'm 20 and have a trust fund. Uh, so wonderful. And and that's actually quite opposite of, of your personality, just having delved into you know, your knowledge of the world, your ability to think about what's going on. And something that we had wanted to talk about, interestingly, was how you've used music to sort of explore society's fears and hopes and collective consciousness. And as I was reading your blog today... You had written something talking about sort of this collective idea of, of UFOs and what is it and are we shifting our consciousness to believe in something different? What could it possibly be? And you said, but be prepared. Change, not to mention changing a personal paradigm, will make you extremely uncomfortable. It's worth it, though, whether you want to change the world or just your own reality with a little discomfort in the grand scheme of things. And that one paragraph resonated with me so much because three years ago, I would have said I didn't believe in UFOs. I would have said I didn't care about them. I didn't think about them in any way, shape or form. It wasn't until Tim approached me to do this podcast with him. I showed up as a skeptic. I started meeting wonderful, incredible people, intelligent people who all had this different deep perspective of the universe and where we come from and where we're going and what these UFOs all mean. And I have been deeply uncomfortable <laughs> for for at least a year after every podcast episode having to redesign and rewire my brain in terms of what I knew to be true and what might possibly exist out there and what might possibly be true. And I've lost so much sleep. You know, we've had people on the podcast that have had you know, alien encounters and abductions and what have you. And my mind has really had to work through all of that. And it has been uncomfortable, but certainly I am having a shift in how I view the world. And with all of these congressional hearings, things that are happening, do you think that the whole world is having a shift to believe in something more, or believe in something different? Big question. <laughs> and um, I think that going back to this Carl Jung, uh, two things, going back to this Carl Jung book on flying saucers, he talks about, because he's, he's approaching it from, you know, a collective uh, unconscious or the collective psyche. And I haven't ever read the whole book, but uh, he talks about the fact that we are collectively moving into, he, he calls it a plutonic age, but it's basically a new astrological age. So right before Christianity came on the scene, um, we were moving from the age of, I forget, to the age of Pisces. And now we're moving from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius, which doesn't happen, you know, overnight. It it's, <laughs> takes a while. And, um, and so in, in that uh, context, he talks about the collective uh, consciousness shifting. Um, and that's, you know, so what are these experiences we're having? Um, and, you know, I have to tell you, in the Carl Jung 1958 article and um, in these 1955 books, they're all talking about 
um, not specifically congressional hearings, but um, you know, government uh, or scientists saying there's no such thing while a pilot flying a, a plane of passengers uh, will uh, share an experience of uh, an encounter in the sky. So um, the other thing that I just heard this past week, and I'm just going to kind of throw this out there because, you know, obviously there's something going on. I haven't had any direct experience. And, you know, I think in the song, I kind of allude to, was it something from the future? Meaning like, is there some kind of time uh, wormhole or whatever uh, involved in these encounters? But also, I've often thought that it's, um, I can't think of the word right now, but, uh, you know, there so many dimensions uh, that it's highly likely that you just are sort of perceiving something that's coming through from another, reality isn't the right word, but I, I just can't think of the right term right now, dimension, whatever, dimension, probably. Yeah, and so anyway... There's a new book, I think it's been out about a year, or maybe it's just brand new this year, by an, a man named Ed Young, and it's called An Immense World. And the entire book is about all of the different species on the planet and how they all, not everyone, but how they perceive the world. So I can be sitting here on this couch and I will perceive the reality of my room in one way and a fly could be buzzing around having a completely different experience and then my cat also has an entirely different experience and he's talking about from elephants to bees to uh, you know small species of shrimp and uh, so I highly encourage you to there's a podcast on uh not podcast there's an interview with him on on point on wbur that is amazing and uh, uh it's just really interesting because essentially he's just talking about being in the same place and having wildly different experiences so i may have gotten off topic i can't remember what your question was <laughs> All good. No, I think that you're right about people having different experiences or animals having different experiences just based on perspective and exactly what they're going through at that moment. But speaking of experiences, you also have another song about Robert J. Oppenheimer. And I know Tim wanted to delve deep into that one with you as well. So Tim, I'm going to toss it to you to move in that direction. Thanks, CJ. I believe Suzanne was actually just describing the multiverse. And I don't know if that's the word you were looking for, but it sounded a lot a lot like the multiverse and you know one thing that's happened a lot on this show is we've we've discovered synchronicity i didn't really know what the word meant before we started this podcast but suzanne some topics that keep recurring on this show are roswell topics like mutually assured destruction and simultaneous atomic destruction astrophysics just imagine folks if you're suzanne mcdermott who's our special guest tonight. You've written a song about Roswell and, and we're basically living in the year of the UFO. We've got UFO whistleblowers talking about Roswell. We've got congressional hearings. 
with congressional leaders asking about Roswell, New Mexico. Not only that, but you've written and sung a song about one of the most mind-blowing pop culture events in recent memory, Barbieheimer. Am I saying that right, CJ? Barbieheimer? <laughs> Barbieheimer? Yeah, I, I'm unmuted now. Yeah, Barbieheimer. Well, uh, you're getting to my song, The Three Dreams of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, I was not permitted to have a Barbie growing up. <laughs> I was forbidden to have a Barbie. And so it just it just occurred to me as I was reading the Vogue with Margot Kidder on it, or not Margot, you know, I mean, the, the star of Barbie. What is her name? Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie. And Oppenheimer, the Christopher Nolan movie, and Barbie. I, I thought, well, that that explains it. You know, I was not permitted to have a Barbie. So um, I wrote the song about Oppenheimer. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. That is synchronicity right there. We didn't know about your history with Barbie, but who would have thought? Here comes Barbieheimer. But Suzanne, you have written a song about the three dreams of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And if it's okay with you, how about we just hear a little bit of it? It's a lengthy song, but we'll hear a little clip of it, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. Here is The Three Dreams of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Of course, you can still go see the movie Oppenheimer in theaters right now. This is by our special guest, Suzanne McDermott. That's a little clip from The Three Dreams of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And right off the bat, Suzanne, I'd love to hear all about this, but I couldn't help but notice, whereas Roswell seemed kind of straightforward and very realistically descriptive, even, of, even though it's of a UFO event, Oppenheimer seemed to have a lot of symbolism, and it's hard not to notice the religious and other symbolism in your song, The Three Dreams of J. Robert Oppenheimer. You know... Uh... I got, well, first of all, I got the idea for the song uh, from watching a BBC seven-part series starring uh, Sam Waterston as J. Robert Oppenheimer. 
So I wrote that song in 1982. There was nothing uh, available about the Manhattan Project at that point or Los Alamos. But anyway, I, I did find one book. I think it was called Brighter Than a Thousand Suns. Anyway, I learned that Oppenheimer, amongst other things, was reading The Holy Sonnets by John Donne. And so, I don't know, you know, my little poetic puzzle mind kind of put this idea together. And again, it was a framework for the song. So I took uh, the idea of tr Trinity and the Holy Sonnets, and they all kind of worked together to frame the song in three parts with a lot of poetic license and quoting done in it. And uh, because of that song, uh, I went and I performed, I was living in Santa Monica at that time, and I performed all around uh, Los Angeles uh, for anti-nuclear rallies. And I opened for Gore Vidal when he was running for state Senate. And uh, it was, it was really interesting. And also, at that time, I, I was able to, there were still a few living atomic vets. This is one of the most memorable things. And uh, they were just basically crumbling from the inside. And uh, so I, I was able to sit in a small room and meet with some, uh, uh, with an atomic vet and hear him give a talk. Well, you know, I feel like it would, if you were involved in that era, my dad was in World War II in the Army, served under Patton. And I feel like if you were involved in that era, it was hard not to become philosophical or religious or spiritual or mystical. You know, when they first did that, at the very first detonation, the test detonation, they honestly didn't know if they were about to destroy the entire world. Very difficult times, a very serious song, lots of symbolism. I just think it's an amazing song. Suzanne, you seem really inspired by historical events and, and historical figures. Can you tell us more about how historical events and figures have sort of inspired your creativity? Well, um, my own little private joke is actually on my website, on my About page. And um, when I was, I don't even know if I was walking yet, but uh, my parents brought me or my father brought me to have my first formal baby picture taken. And um, I'm sure Mr. Okada, who was the photographer said, well, why don't you give her something to hold like a ball or something? And uh, there's a picture of me holding uh, Arnold J. Toynbee's Greek civilization and character. <laughs> in my little smock dress. So I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. But it's definitely not anything that I intentionally went after. And yet, there's the Oppenheimer song, there's the Roswell song. Uh, when I started, it's a long story, but when I started trying to kind of refit my touring uh, so that I could you know, earn some kind of a living, I started giving programs and all of them were historically based. So, you know, on American folk songs. And then I recorded a, a Christmas album, uh, which was 
essentially like the history of the Christmas Carol. So I toured with programs on the history and development of the Christmas Carol. And then uh, when I, you know, started, when I just had to get off the road and I started teaching drawing and watercolor, and then I, you know, really threw myself into drawing and painting. My courses, uh, you know, I teach drawing and watercolor largely now through uh, learning about and copying historic paintings. So I'm just really into it. And uh, it's what a better way to learn about the human situation, you know, so. I really can't agree more. I was thinking as you were saying this about the, the songs and about the paintings and using historical concepts to create those. How much more our children would learn in school if they were using art to learn history, if they were writing songs? I mean, look at, look at how successful Hamilton is, right? Like Hamilton shook everybody's brains. Everybody loved Hamilton because here you're getting this story of history presented through a really creative form of art that high school students loved, something that they would not have been interested in before. And so when you can take something like a historical event or a historical figure and put it into a song or into a painting or what have you. I do think it resonates with people. I think it sticks with people more. We need to incorporate so much more of that into our education because so many people do have artistic brains. Me, not so much. I try, you know, maybe writing, but I, I really struggle with art. Though my kids have it and my grandfather was a fabulous artist. So maybe I'll have to take one of your classes and see what I can do with, with some watercolors. You know, in my lifetime, I've watched the arts, well, it, in some ways they've been promoted. And this is a whole other conversation that I actually don't want to get into. But, um, you know, when my mother was growing up, they had to memorize Ju Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. I mean, as little kids, you know, and so it was, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, this is, the arts are a way to learn and um, and also in terms of denigrating yourself in terms of not being artistic or something, you know, if there was a time in my life when I was a zealot for people uh, drawing, not learning to draw, but just to draw like everybody, anybody. And, you know, it's much more popular or accepted in England and Europe, um, but not in the United States. and. I cannot tell you how many adults told me that, uh, you know, their five-year-old could draw better than they could. They couldn't draw a straight line. They didn't have an artistic bone in their body. And I'm like, you know, if you had to find a toilet in the middle of the Sahara, you betcha you could draw something to communicate to somebody who you spoke, you know, spoke a different language from. And, you know, there's just, there's all this baggage around, um, people being able to express themselves. And a lot of it has to do with the materialistic culture that we live in that I could just keep talking about, but I won't right now. That's right. And you know, a lot of people believe that Close Encounters of the Third Kind was really onto something when basically we were communicating with extraterrestrials via music and art, you know, and a lot of people think that it if we ever do communicate with extraterrestrials, it's going to be through things like mathematics as well, which, by the way, is closely tied to art and music. 
And so, by the way, CJ mentioned Hamilton, and I know all about Hamilton from the Hamilton Polka by Weird Al. So, shout out, <laughs> shout out to Weird Al. Taught me all there is to know about oh, Hamilton. But see, again, art, right? Through a good polka. <laughs> That's so funny. And Suzanne, you're so right about the, um, the, the competitive nature of our culture and thinking we're not good at something and not wanting to fail in the eyes of others and what have you. And it is absolutely a mental block. And I just need to open my mind to the experience and sit down and do it. Suzanne, sorry. I, I want to hit on something you talked about, the, the Christmas Carol education that you do i hate to put you on the spot but what but is there anything you can tell us about the history of silent night it's a german carol still in Nacht, and uh no that wasn't i'm talking like like way back to like uh 11th century 12th century but um it's i know it's a german carol and i know there's a there was a movie wasn't there about some a day of uh, amnesty for Christmas, and I don't know, but no, I don't. And that wasn't part of my um, repertoire. <laughs> but I did want to say something about music, and that uh, when you said Close Encounters, I completely forgot about that. And that sequence, it was, uh, it came from. Uh, a, a composer, not Carl Orff, not Kadai, might be, might have been Zoltan Kadai. But anyway, uh, what I wanted to say is that even Mahler, uh, Gustav Mahler, talked about the music of the spheres, and there are like prints or drawings or lithographs of describing um, celestial music. And just the other day. I saw an article about, um, you know, of course, everything is newly discovered, but an article about uh, some scientific uh, paper on basically uh, celestial sounds, celestial music coming from ex outside the galaxy, outside our galaxy, I think. I, I would have to look it up, but you could Google it easily and uh, uh, find that. Yeah, and another thing, <laughs> another thing about our culture is that it's so damn noisy. It is so noisy. You cannot hear anything. I mean, I, it drives me crazy. And uh, but you know, you can't hear the birds, the bees, the the for the leaf blowers and whatever. But you know, there's so much music. Uh, even you know, just trying to record sounds of nature. There's always these days going to be a plane or, you know, something in the background. But, you know, music is all around us. Get my blood pressure up talking about this noise pollution. <laughs> yeah, don't get Tim worked up about noise pollution. You know, Tim, I saw a, a meme the other day and it made me think of you. And it was somebody saying like, oh, we moved out of the city because we just couldn't stand all of that noise. And oh, on yeah. either side of them is like people with leaf blowers, you know, blowing all of the leaves. <laughs> and it just, I'm like, oh, it's so Tim. I think one of the first things you ever said to me when we were talking on the phone one time was like, oh, the leaf blowers, the noise pollution in my backyard. They start up at like 730. 30 a.m. and they just keep going. Two things make me want to commit murder. I realize I'm saying this in public, but leaf blowers and wave runners. 
those two things. Nothing <laughs> will ruin a relaxing day at the lake like a wave runner off in the distance making constant noise. Ah, oh, I agree. <laughs> I tell you, Suzanne, one thing that that a lot of folks often wonder about when we talk to an artist or a musician is, can you tell us a little bit more about your creative process from idea conception to the final product? I think that's something that non-artists, non-musicians, that they just don't really have a concept there of what's happening from start to finish. Uh, from start, I don't know, you know. <laughs> but uh, when faced with this sort of question, I think about Kandinsky's Pardon me. He's got an article uh, that he wrote on the question of form. He talks about the white fertilizing ray. And I'm not sure if in that context he was talking about this. But, you know, it's uh, you were talking about synchronicity. So I think the uh, creative process has a lot to do with a number of different things. One is preparation. You know, uh, what do they say about opportunity is something about preparation. I can't remember the quote. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to hone your, to get your mess, muscles exercised and prepped for a run, you know, if you're going to do a run. So it's good to practice whatever art or craft you're working in. You know, if you're a guitarist, you have to practice. If you're a pianist, if you're a writer, you have to write, you know, and um, there's that. But also it's like, you get an idea, like with the Oppenheimer song, like, I don't know where, where did I get an idea to write a song about that? But you just, it kind of catches you, you know, it's like, oh, there's an idea. And somebody once called me an idea factory. So, you know, you can't follow everyone, but if it sticks, you know, then, okay, perfect example. Like, with the Roswell song that I turned around, walked into a bookstore and picked up an old book about, uh, you know, flying saucers or, uh, you know, you have, and it's not like anything I do intentionally or one would do intentionally. I mean, you can sit down, meet with a writing partner, knock out a song and so forth. That's not what I do, but um, this is reminding me of something and I can't quite think of what it is, but you sort of, you know, in, in terms of synchronicity or coincidence or serendipity or whatever, you know, I, this is how I live my life. You know, I, I'll get an idea and then I turn around and there's something else related to it. Or I go down a rabbit hole and something else is, uh, you know, feeds into the idea and uh, it's true of like putting together my courses or preparing my classes or, you know, choosing a painting. And um, in a way, it's it's kind of anxiety uh, producing because I want to I want to know everything up front. You know, I'm a Virgo and, you know, I do have anxiety and I like I would like to know everything up front. And it just doesn't work that way, you know, so. Um, uh, so eventually you know part of the uh practicing the craft or something is that you have enough skill uh to honing the package and um i don't know if any of that makes sense because it's a very uh kind of abstract experience and oh you know uh twyla tharp the dancer has a really good book uh called the creative i don't know 
something, the creative something. And she talks about using a box. Like she'll, she'll have a new project coming up and she'll, uh, she'll put all these ideas into this box or all sorts of prep preparation for the project into the box. But I will say just end this ramble with one thing is that, and that is that, um, I am performance and project oriented. You know, I'm not writing songs now because I'm not performing or recording. And so I won't just like write a song to just stick in a drawer. And um, also there are only so many hours in a day. So, you know, I'm just, I'm really focused on like, what's the life, what's going to give this life to this or what, how can I share this, uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, song or painting or course or whatever. Well, you certainly do fill every hour of the day, it seems. I mean, to spend some time on your blog, you realize that you meditate and you do yoga and you teach classes and you have music and you are so deeply connected to everything you've ever created. It feels like every song that you create forms all of these new connections to new people who take you to new places with it. And even with the Oppenheimer song, I was reading where you ended up meeting some of the physicists who had worked on the Manhattan Project, including Francis Lowe, who ended up playing the piano with you on this song. And I see you have more. I do want to talk about Francis and Tony. Um, you know, when I wrote the Oppenheimer song, well, time passed, you know, like a decade passed. I went many different places. And I, I wound up at MIT, and I um, and I was working with the chairs, a couple chairs of the faculty and the president at that time, and faculty policy committees and just faculty committees. But anyway, I just happened to connect with two uh, retired uh, theoretical physicists, and we just. We just really hit it off, and I was just reading about Tony French, who was Edward Teller's assistant at Los Alamos. I mean, he wasn't the only one, but he was, you know, in his uh, team of assistants when he was like 23 or 24 years old. And so, like, that was a bit of serendipity that was completely unexpected. And, um, I love both of those men dearly, but anyway, yeah, that life is full of surprises. sure seems that way but it also feels like you have curated a life to be full of surprises so that's a beautiful thing and everybody should certainly get over to Suzanne's website it is worth a day spent diving into all of your wonderful creativity and past stories and that is suzannemcdermott.com I believe please correct me if I'm wrong but I think yes yeah, suzannemcdermott.com you're mentioning the book by Twyla Tharp and that is um, the creative habit learn it and use it for life is what that one is called before we send you off for the day for those that are listening to the show we always like to ask our guests if they have any advice for people that might 
not be totally open-minded yet, might not be believers in the all the other things going on. And clearly none of us are sitting here saying that we have the answers to what we are seeing, but what would be your advice for anybody who might be a little closed-minded at this moment? There's more to heaven and earth than something, Horatio. Yeah, I mean, you know, we live in, uh, okay, I've got it for you. We live in an extremely materialistic world. It's just, I think about probably as materialistic as it's ever been. I don't know, I've only been around for my lifetime. But, uh, you know, thinking scientifically, or about physics, everything is in motion. And we don't perceive it that way. But you know, every piece of material is just um, energy in, in some form or another. And so, and, and really think if you were brought up in uh, a religion or you have any spiritual beliefs, really think about what those beliefs are. I mean, I was raised Catholic from a long line of Irish Catholics and priests, and I, I bad rap these days, I understand, but you know, I have a, a great deal of respect for all of that. And when you look into, for any of the religious tradition uh, uh, belief systems, it's kind of unusual. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, you know, sticking with Catholicism, transubstantiation and, um, you know, Our Lady of Lourdes or uh, uh, Our Lady of Fatima or the burning bush, you know, that's, you know, more Judeo-Christian. But right now, you know, it's kind of all about the bottom line and there's just so much more to life than that. I guess that's what I have to say. I love it. So much more to life than the bottom line. There you go. Another t-shirt, Tim. Get these up on the website soon. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so we have been talking with Suzanne McDermott. We are so lucky to have you on our show this evening. I do believe that you have just a deep understanding of of life and what there is to offer and you're constantly looking for, for more meaning in it. And um, we have worked through our technical difficulties. I'm so proud of us for that. Suzanne, we're going to ask that you do hang out with us in the studio after we sign out to make sure that everything gets uploaded properly. Tim, is there anything that you wanted to add before we sign out check out suzannemcdermott.com amazing stuff over there songs art classes that you can take you name it all kinds of great things folks don't forget the skies are not classified yet the woods mostly (laughs) are not classified get off your screens go outside take a hike watch the skies at night you never know what you might see Absolutely. I told Tim before we started the show, I sent him a message. I said, I think Suzanne's going to be one of my favorite people after today. And that is just from not even speaking to you, but reading she all really that you have done. Yeah, it's not a lie. I just loved it. So um, everybody do yourselves a favor and go take a look at her website. Thank you so much for joining us, Suzanne. We hope that we can have you on our show again. For everybody that is listening, we hope that you stay happy, stay strange, and listen to all things unexplained.
Thanks. Like. Share. Follow. Comment. Subscribe. Support. What's your hot take on Travis Taylor? <laughs> it, I've got an exclusive for you guys if you okay. want it about yeah, the Alaska. We do. Okay, okay. More at BigfootUFO.com. All things unexplained. So, some of that I think, sir, will save the post session. Mm-hmm.